0: If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran.
1: That's it, everybody. We are back. This is episode 232, two, web development tech that scares you. We have a spooky episode for you today. We probably should have did this during Halloween or something. Uh, but uh, Mike has uh, a list of stuff that scares you. Scares you. I mean, it's just straight up. You're learning something. Maybe you're learning React or something. And you're like, ah, what's that AWS stuff? Or you're uh, using WordPress on like a managed host where they, you know, maybe you one click installered it or they you just literally bought WordPress hosting. They installed it for you, logged in. And then you realize you want to do something a little special and ah, PHP's right there. But anyway, if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon. Leave a review rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server, or share this with your friends. And now, Mike, you uh, got this idea, I think, from a tweet or were inspired by a tweet. And I'll let you take it away before we dive into this uh, haunted house of horrors. (laughs)
2: Yeah, I think we should have saved this for Halloween now that you said it. But regardless, pretend it's Halloween, everyone, and boo. Uh, This is going to be a scary, scary episode, uh, especially if you're scared of technology, which I guess we all are. Um, So yeah, you're right, Matt, inspired by a tweet that I made asking people what they're scared of, like what tech scares you. And I have some tech that scares me that I'll talk about and I'll have some tech that scares you as in the audience that replied in that tweet and I'll kind of comment on and I'm sure Matt will chime in with his takes on the tech that scares everyone. But first, let's just kind of get into the introduction a little bit here. So I think we're all scared of the unknown, right? So a lot of stuff that scares us, and I say that with air quotes that no one can see, uh, is that... The fact that we just don't know it, right? So most of the stuff that I'm going to talk about and that most likely other people have talked about is because like, Hey, we're just scared of diving into it. We don't know this technology. This is super foreign to us. So that's what drives the fear in like, in essence. And because web development is constantly evolving in general. So like you can learn react today and then a year from now, there's going to be X amount of. Features in React that you don't know because you just didn't keep up with it. That's also kind of daunting and scary in in a sense. Like again, you have to be really embracing the fact that, hey, I'm gonna be constantly learning. This isn't a skill like uh welding. Or I mean like with welding, you're probably constantly learning. There's probably nothing where you can just fully stagnate. But regardless, especially with web development, you're just in a constant path of like, hey, I need to get better, I need to learn what's coming out, I need to make sure that I'm staying on top of all of these different frameworks that are coming out to make sure that I'm not getting behind the industry. Now, I say that exaggeratingly, obviously, if you're in an agency job that's using WordPress all the time, and they're usually, in fact, only using WordPress version, whatever, you can stagnate a little bit. So it's not required. But in general, if you want to advance in your career and you want to job hop on a consistent basis to get that like peak salary in tech then you're probably going to have to push yourself quite a bit out of the comfort zone. So that's where the fear comes in. And I think having a little bit of fear jumping into technology is – it's not. there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think that that's something that's – that's not an indicator that you're not cut out for this. I think that's more of an indicator that, hey, this is something that, yeah, it's a little bit scary, but I can just take it a little bit at a time, take it step by step at a time and maybe get to a point where I'm not as scared of it, right?
1: The, the big thing there is that is that there's that anticipatory, I guess, anxiety or something where you're thinking, oh, no, like I'm going to have to learn, uh, you know, I'm learning React. But I mean, I'm going to have to learn, like, how do I like make like deploy it and what infrastructure do I need and how much traffic is there on that thing? And is that server bolstered? And I don't know anything about server admin. And it's that anticipatory like, oh, no, no, no. But when thrown into it, like when thrown into an issue. When given the task, hey, build this, either given to you by yourself, where you've decided you want to do a a project, actually, that's probably the best way to think of it, is if you take the client out of it, the client adds a stressor level to it, where you're like, oh my god, like I'm going to look like an idiot, I have to do this quickly, because they're panicking, because the site's in trouble, or the site needs to go up for the first time, and they need to sell this product, and what do I do, what do I do? But if you were building this yourself, and you had this project for yourself, you might put yourself under pressure and under stress, but it's different. It's it's, you know what? I'm going to get this done. This is a, you know, a pain, but I'm going to force my way through it. And then when thrown into a similar situation with a client where their sites having trouble or like they need to do something quickly or, you know, whatever, you just get into it and you do it. And you might struggle, you might have to bring in some help, you know, I'm not saying everything's going to be super simple, but there's a path forward for most people where they they know, okay, I'm going to troubleshoot this, troubleshoot this, troubleshoot this, Google this, do that. I don't know PHP, so there's, I'll work around that by having a plugin. Okay, I'll do this, this, this. And when they're in the situation themselves, it's very different, where they just sort of work through it. They're no longer thinking about, well, in 10 minutes, am I going to have this solved? Oh, no. In, in 15 minutes, am I going to have this solved? But when there is no issue on the table and you're just worried about an issue, you're thinking, well, you know, if that cache goes offline, like, I don't know much about caching. What if that server goes off? Like, I don't know how to call them. Like, I don't know who. And it's just it, a whirlwind of thoughts because there's a whirlwind of intricacies in many projects.
2: That's exactly it. And I think we'll just jump right into the tech that scares me kind of in line with what you're saying. Infrastructure tech like AWS, Azure, that cloud computing technology, that's the stuff that scares me. Um, that's probably number one on my list of all of it that I'm going to talk about. And it's because of exactly what Matt's saying. Like there's so many pieces to it and there's so much infrastructure behind it that like, if something goes down, your knowledge, your depth knowledge has to be pretty deep to know even who to call. Like these Azure, these like AWS teams, they have support, right? Like if when you go to AWS, there's support, but you have to know what you're getting support for. Like your site is down is not an indicator of AWS being down. It could be the deployment infrastructure. It could be the caching. It could be the actual like server that it's on. It could be the the load balancing. Like there's so many different pieces in something like AWS that going into it blindly and going into it and being like, hey, I'm going to build an app that scales, you know, 500K users a day. That's what's going on in AWS. And even if you have a decent understanding of it is a scary process. There's so much in there that like you know you could miss something easily that could in 2 weeks take down your site because the log file gets too big that's happened to me so that's that's an example of something in that, AWS that's that has screwed that's common me over. Though, man.
1: Yeah, like it, even in even not in web uh, me having been a, 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 a just a server admin and using linux pretty frequently it's you know you leave a debugger on or you don't even and there's something has something that you're not using is broken cuz as with many OSs You know, the OS is doing 500 million things at once all the time that you're not watching. And you might not care about Nick 2, but maybe Nick 2 is constantly like, I have an error. I have an error. I have an error. And it says that every 10 minutes for two weeks. And all of a sudden you got a 15 gig file on your hands and it's, you know, overwhelmed, overwhelmed the hard drive and you're screwed. Um, it's, It's common.
2: Very common. It's a common one. And yet it's always the last thing that you check. Which is really frustrating. So, like again, we had this happen recently at that, my current contract, where the server went down. Now, this wasn't on me particularly. I'm not the AWS person in this team, but it was still a stressful time because I had to go through and figure out if my systems were failing because I'm more in charge of the front end of everything. And just going through all that was very stressful because I, you know, I'm using AWS to uh, do the deployment infrastructure to do the. Like CloudFront caching and etc. All the buzzwords that you want, but regard like that part was stressful. Just the unknown of it, right? Like this massive behemoth. If you've ever been inside of an AWS dashboard where you have multiple systems running, it's extremely intimidating, right? If you're sounds like so, a mini knock. Yeah, it's a mini knock, and it's like I, there's so much information being thrown at you all the time, and there's so many warnings and flags and stuff. Going around that, like, unless you have a full-on IT department that's dedicated to AWS, I would never recommend, like, a solo developer or whatever to go and throw their, like, production-ready application on on an AWS platform. And I'm sure there are tons that do it. For 100, I've, I mean, I've talked to them. There's, you know, there's, there's very confident developers that are like, Hey, I worked with AWS at my enterprise company and like, I was in charge of X and Y. So why not? Like when I take on the smaller startup project, why not throw everything on AWS? Cause I know like, you know, X, Y and Z of it. But the problem is, is that when you're working in an enterprise level AWS infrastructure, you're, yes, you might know in depth certain pieces of it, but there's other pieces that you're going to not know. That's like you can't know every part of an AWS infrastructure unless you're an AWS technician, like certified AWS technician, right? I'll give you an
1: example if you want. Uh, I have an example of one where it was not AWS. So I used to work as a server administrator uh, and we used to work on local servers. So we actually dealt with the hardware. We did like the DCM or like the data center management side of things where – I mean it was a couple of servers, a couple of pretty hefty servers though uh, that were running a hypervisor that had a bunch of VMs on there. Uh, and then we did our own networking as well. So everything was like sort of like literally right there in front of you. I could literally, you know, touch the cables and plug in the servers. And that's what we did and upgraded the servers and stuff. And we had an incident where uh, this was just like a research project. So uh we were we were trying to do a VPN gateway. So we were trying to get a VPN to work. This was just, you know, not in production or anything. This was purely in testing. It was the R&D department. And uh, this isn't NDA because this isn't – um this isn't anything to do with this. This is to do with a third party software. So what had happened was we installed this third party software and we got it to work or it, like we had that third party software installed for a number of months before I was even there. And that would work. We were going to try to use it in sort of an unorthodox way. So, uh, but, but a supported way, a way that did have documentation on how to use it. So, okay. I'm gonna go use that. So I get it all hooked up. I get my VMs and I'm setting up like a little mini environment. So I spin up two windows, uh, to windows instances, uh, to pretend that they're clients or people using it. And then I, uh, you know, set up the, uh, the VPN gateway as well, which I think was also on a, no, it was on a Linux server. It might've been Fedora I won't remember, but th- those routes are, that's anyway. So we install this VPN gateway software and we're in there for, you know, God knows how long and we can't connect and I'm able to connect if I make a static route. So you think, okay, you know, it's the router, it's the switch the layer three switch. um, you know, what, what's going on here. And I understand that this is a web development podcast. So maybe some of this networking stuff is going over your head. You don't need to know a lot of this uh, to be clear. But Mike and I have a kind of a mixed background. But anyway, so we're tr- I'm messing around with the networking. And that's where, exactly where you think it is, right? Something's not routing. It's not routing. Why? And you know that the physical connection's there. You know the firewall isn't blocking it because the static route works. Static route is basically I tell the traffic where to go. When you receive data on here go here the router is supposed to do that automatically and we had a problem because i have two of these fake machines that are connecting to this thing that i can static route but this is supposed to be dynamic it's supposed to be you know a hundred devices and some of them disappear some of them come back some of them go to new employees this and that and they're supposed to go through this vpn gateway and it was like what the hell is going on here and there's literally a thread like i there's a thread on a forum somewhere Where I reached out and I was like, what is going on? Like, we went through the logs. We did this and that. And this is such a niche thing that someone had reached out. Someone had reached out on there and they're like, we're having the same problem. And I was like, all right, you know, like, you know, let's try to, like, you know, put our heads together. I don't think anything came of that in particular. But we kept looking, kept looking, kept looking. And it was all the way down. So like networking has like a networking stack and it's like represents the different levels. Like there's the application layer, your network layer, blah, 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 blah. Like I, I can't remember if even network is one of the layers. It's been a long time since I've looked at the the model. But all the way down almost to like one of the most simplistic layers are NDP just wasn't working. Network discovery protocol. It just wasn't wasn't functioning. It was a bug in the software in that VPN gateway software because it was this niche thing that they clearly had tested in their lab maybe they did have static routes and thought nothing of it NDP i didn't affect any of the other issues that i looked at even just on mass i wasn't even looking for specifically this use case i was looking this VPN software you know NDP problems is there any and it ended up being a problem with their software And that was it. Like we couldn't, we couldn't move forward with the project in that way. We had to go do something else. I think I actually was done my placement at that time, but that's what we discovered. And I ended up writing that uh, on the forum for anyone, everyone that it helped. And I think it helped one person if I remember correctly, but like what a weird little thing that once again, you would never in a million years assume NDP had failed in this particular instance. You're looking, like Mike said, everywhere else but the problem because it's in, as the problem is indicating due to the nature of the problem that it's in the router. It's in the networking somewhere, like the, the switch isn't functioning. I know I haven't set up, uh, you know, the virtual interfaces correctly. Um, uh, maybe I'm on, maybe I'm, you know, not signed in or whatever, right? There's a million and one things that it could be. Maybe it's this server and there's a firewall involved and, you know, we got to, we got a packet sniff. We have to do this. We have to do that. And that's what we did. And kept looking, 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 and NDP. And I've never since and never before that ever had an NDP problem. I'm sure other people have had that. But like I said, wasn't on the forum at that time that I saw anywhere, especially not related to our issue or at least not relevant at all to our problem. So just one example of uh, something that if you heard that story, that's kind of scary. If you were like, man. Like, I'm new to this VPN software. I don't know anything about that. I don't know what to do because you're anticipating that situation. But thrown into it, you just tear it apart. Okay, I got to check this. I got to check that. I got to check this. I got to check that. I got to check this. Maybe you will never come to a conclusion. Maybe something's just screwed and that's it. Like, if there's a problem, there's a problem and that's it. But in this case, we came to a conclusion and had to move on to some other software. Um, But it wasn't scary while in it.
2: So that's the thing, you know? Yeah. And that's the thing. Like it's, it's, it's always the anticipation of a problem, but sometimes the problem can be scary. But when we break it down, like if you're in a coding situation, so for me, like JavaScript usually isn't scary, even though that kind of problem can arise in a complex JavaScript application. No problem. Like any, any sort of situation where you have to go layer by layer by layer, framework by framework, that stuff happens all the time. That's not as scary to me because I know that I'm just going to sit down, dive in and go layer by layer, put breakpoints, put console logs, do my typical debugging techniques that I know. My issue when I go with AWS or like a networking infrastructure is that that's outside of my comfort zone like severely, right? So it's like, it's not like it's overlapping my comfort zone, but AWS is like a completely different thing for me. So that's why for me, if I were to, you know, be in charge of a project that uh, is at a startup, I would always recommend going with something like Vercel or Netlify or something a managed service, right, Cloudways whatever, that has a team dedicated to managing the stuff that I do not want to touch. Now, obviously the the back the, the the side of that that uh doesn't work is that if you're if you need full control and for full scale opportunity, then you need to hire an AWS team. I don't think there's an in between. This is where I kind of differentiate with people where like, I don't think you can go on AWS with the hopes of scaling without first scaling up an AWS team or at least a few people that understand AWS. And that's, that's where my fear comes in. Now, well,
1: it, it you're yeah. getting, you're getting close to like, I have very minimal exposure with AWS to be totally clear. Uh, most of my server stuff has come from like being, you know, physically in the building with the actual servers. Um, although the infrastructure is similar, but we've asked people on this podcast and off air, you know, Hey, uh, your site's pretty popular, you know, what infrastructure you're running. And it just goes in one ear right out the other, because they're, you know, they're the JavaScript person or they're the person that knows how to make the website work. But they're not the infrastructure person. They don't know. And whether they, they've allowed, and I'm estimating because I don't have an exact example, but whether they've allowed these cloud computing things to just scale themselves or whether they've contracted out that portion, you're starting to get into a different field. Like you're almost getting into IT and even further, if you drill it down into networking, you're starting to get there where IT slash IT slash network slash IT networking will Build build that computer, whether it's in the cloud or whatever. Prepare it. You tell them, you know, I need this, this, this. They install that software. Sometimes they don't even do that. Sometimes they just do the hardware. At most, they install the software on there. They ensure that that machine, via networking, is able to communicate to where it needs to communicate. The firewalls are open, whether it's open to the public, whether it's in an intranet, external, whatever. And then they leave it for you to use the applications on there to then make a site. Which runs on Nginx or runs on Apache or runs on whatever. That's not their part. And so when you start getting into AWS, you're quote unquote virtually in that data center. You're virtually dealing with that switch or that, uh, that server and stuff like that. Like it, like a lot of the terms I was using earlier like I didn't try I didn't jargon it too bad but I don't ho- I hope <laughs> but um you know talking about you know using layer 3 switches and using routers and ch- NDP people that are in web development do not know the networking layer the networking layers they do not know uh infrastructure stuff like that they they would not know how much how many gigs of ram something necessarily needs um some there's going to be crossover of course a hundred percent, there's going to be crossover. But one of the biggest problems is like you can make an app that runs on your local machine or runs for your team if you're in testing. And then you're like, hey, let's go. And this happens in video games and everything all the time. The team releases it to the public. Everyone logs in. Bam, it's down. And it's like, what happened? Well, it's not enough. It's like, OK, add some more. Everyone logs in. It's down again. OK, let's go again. It's not easy. And really, it is like Mike saying a different different teams work almost like you're getting to that level, if not in that level, in many cases.
2: Exactly. And that that's what that's kind of the scary part is like just the, the responsibility of a web developer to be able to take on that additional stuff. And the weird thing is I don't want to go too far more into it, do more into it. But the weird thing is that it can give you a false sense of security in the sense that like you can have an AWS infrastructure spun up for you that will handle stuff really simply. Right, Like, hey, if you need to host a web app on AWS, it's not like you have to go in and, and, and program the routers and the Nginx and stuff like that. There's like a one-click setup. But the issue is, is when something goes wrong, there's no one-click debug. You have to know what connections it's set up and where where it made those connections and what servers are running because it's like many different layers that have been set up for you in giving you that option to host there. But then debugging that can be a disaster. So again, we can, you know, what we're probably going to do a whole episode on AWS. So stay tuned for that. Like I'm, I'm learning it a little bit at the current contract that I'm on. So I want to talk about it or server infrastructure in general. But honestly, it's just one of those things that's like I kind of want to keep it as much of a black box as possible.
1: Well, take a look at like a managed service. Like uh, we, we had we had Pratham from from or formerly from Rapid API on. And I think I I think I asked him some sort of question. This is from memory, but I I think I asked him some sort of question of, hey, you know, if you're pulling a lot of data or something like that, like, you know, what's the server infrastructure like or something? And he just didn't have an answer because that's just not his job. You know, and and maybe it's not even anyone's job at Rapid API. Maybe it's the remote things that they're offering and they're the software layer or like, I don't know how deep they go. So I might be wrong there. But um, Like there's, it's just a lot of people's jobs are involved with making these complex things work.
2: Yep, exactly. Moving on though, uh, the next thing that scares me a little bit here is Rust and Wasm. So Rust and Wasm kind of go together a little bit. WebAssembly is what Wasm is and Rust is a language that can be, that you can use to build WebAssembly applications. These are high-performant languages where you need to actually like, care about the memory allocation they're very similar to c matt and i have learned c that was one of the first languages that we learned and assembly just straight up
1: assembly as well yes
2: correct we learned that but it's still a little bit of a fear for me at this point in diving into it and it's probably maybe an irrational fear i don't know but it's so the paradigm shift between coding in javascript and rust is big like it is a very big difference and Going from, you know, not caring about memory allocation, like establishing, you know, not not caring about where your memory is stored, what memory you're accessing, the pointers and all that, to then sh- drastically shifting to a WASM style mindset is a little bit like it, it's a little bit overwhelming for me to think about because I still don't consider myself an expert in JavaScript or web development, like the regular web development tech, so going at a completely new stack that uses something, a completely different paradigm is something that I haven't been able to conquer yet. Like I've, I've said, and I think in a couple podcast episodes that I've wanted to learn WASM, right? Like I've said that that's one of my things on my list. But every time I go to learn it, I'm like, holy crap, like I have to like re- forget what I learned in JavaScript to be able to really master this. And I just don't have a good enough reason to learn it yet. And I think everything comes down to that last point is like, you need to have a good enough reason to learn it. There are for sure opportunities opening up in the Rust and Wasm space. Rust alone can now be used to program on the Solana blockchain and blockchains in general. Uh, And Wasm, again, is another part of that Rust ecosystem where you can build extremely performant applications, or at least the backends to them or uh, the the logic to them in a very low level language, allowing you to do some crazy stuff, right? Like uh, if you need to render video or if you need to convert video, there's WASM uh, infrastructure for that that will make it way, way more efficient. But I just, I haven't needed that yet. And the stuff that I'm doing, like rendering UIs, stuff like Svelte or even React, which is considered quote unquote slow is mind bogglingly fast enough for what I'm doing. Right. So there just hasn't been that reason to push me into that comfort, into the uncomfort, uncomfort zone.
1: Well, you and I, you and I learned WebAssembly or no, sorry, we, we didn't learn WebAssembly. We learned just assembly language and then we learned C as well. Um, in school, because we were programming, uh, small chips, ICs, integrated circuits to, to run little applications. Like they would be connected to a button and a light in its most simple capacity. And then you'd write like a little thing where it's like, if I click this button on pin one, light up the light on pin two, stuff like that. Um, and you can do so with CS or with, uh, C. And then you compile it down, I would assume down to assembly. Um, if I, My memory is foggy on this. It's been a number of years. But we learned assembly first, and it was very challenging. And then you learn C because C is more of like a human interface to assembly, assuming it does go down to assembly, which I'm, I'm fairly certain it does. But obviously that because it's generalized, the compiler is obviously going to be um, – less efficient. It's sort of like how if you bring jQuery in and you only use five of the functions, well, the 500 or whatever, however many functions JavaScript or jQuery has, technically that's wasted space. It's kilobytes, but it's wasted space. But like Mike said, it's only kilobytes. You have enough space on your web hosting. So who cares? Like you could bring the whole jQuery library in and it's, it's it doesn't matter. But someone who is running something on literally something that has 16 bits was it bits or bytes of ram like it was like like this like these little chips were using the 16
2: bit i think
1: because it was 18 mega 16s and i can't remember now but it's like a bit is one bit a byte is eight bits and 18 mega 16 is 16 represents the memory there's no hard drive on this thing it doesn't hard it doesn't hard store things like it needs to be powered on to an extent you can obviously like load an os into it kind of and then it like, we like made our own little OS's on it and stuff like this. Like, I'm, I'm doing this from memory. So, like, if you're an Arduino guy or, um, if you're doing, you know, integrated circuits and stuff, like, I'm probably butchering it to be, to be fair, to be fair. But, um, like, what a different, <sighs> like, what a different world. Even there, like, going from assembly to C was like, whoa, this is, this is huge. We're kind of starting as web developers on JavaScript, and 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 further on, like some of us don't even start on JavaScript. We're on like another human interface. We're on React. We're on Svelte. We're on whatever. So drilling down, 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 down to like WebAssembly, which is you know comparable to Assembly in concept as being very performant. Um, you know, it's a different it's a different ballpark, but it's for those cases where it matters. You're not going to be hopefully putting websites on integrated circuits anytime soon, but it's four sixteen. Like I remember we had crashing problems, Mike and I did, and then we upgraded to the ATmega32 so we could have more, yeah. more RAM, effectively, more memory. And that was huge. It was like, holy, you'll never blow a stack on this, which is like, you know, loading too much in, and stuff like that. I'm not going to get it too much in the ICs and integrated circuits electronics, but that's, that's where Mike and I came from in this case. Like it's, it's, it's a different world. And so I'm sure JavaScript to Rust to WebAssembly, vanilla, whatever is probably, uh, yeah. It's
2: a, it's a big step. It, it is a big step. People, people tend to mi- like minimize that or mitigate that. I don't know. But like honestly, going from that language to Rust, like JavaScript to Rust is like, it's a bit jarring that could talk about context switching. That's like, a whole new level of context switching but having said that next kind of tech this isn't really tech that scares me but this is like a, a web development concept that scares me and that's design so i'm not very artistic and every design that i've ever made has been like i, I i've never i'm never happy with the result that i create now I have made a couple of designs here and there, like web app designs, uh, like Twitter header designs. Uh, I do some thumbnail designs. Like I do still do design, but it's never a natural process for me. It's always really janky and I always have to get like multiple iterations of it until I'm fairly okay with it. And then, you know, six months down the line, if I look at it, I'm like, oh my God, this is terrible. I'm sure that other designers feel this way, even people that like art and are into it. But for me, it's just, it's one of those uncomfortable, scary things. Like if someone were to be like, Hey, Matt, Mike, you need to design me a, you know, a portfolio website. That's like, Oh my God. Like well, I don't want to do that. <laughs> that's not my, that's not my expertise. If, um, it's something I probably can do, but it's not something that I would like to do. And I would. You know, it it would make me uncomfortable to to offer that service. Now, it's it's, it's, I
1: was going to say it's a challenge. It's a challenge in in the fact that it's visual and it's being compared actively because it's visual to everyone else's designs. Like I'll do web design for our clients. Like if they need very specific web design, we have clients that are big enough that they have just designers and they hand me the design files and I build it. Uh, But there's other people that don't have the budget. And so they'll make like they'll allow me to do it. And I can spin you up like a modern looking site. But I always think it looks like garbage because you're always critical of your own work. But it's also because it's not as good as someone who designs full time. And this, again, touches on the fact that design is different than development. And it's a different field that has a large crossover because I'm good at UX in terms of, hey, there's too many buttons here. You know, hey, like if there's only one action, why are we making the user press a button? Why not just do it automatically and warn them if it fails? And like I can get that type of stuff down. And we've had episodes on UX before, and probably in the future we will too. But it is a different person's field. So if you were going head to head with someone who always designs, it, they're gonna know like oh you know like i know exactly what fonts i need a serif font i need a sans serif font here i need something with skinny i just kind of go in and go like does this look all right i don't know let's let's take a look at font combos online like i'm googling my way through the problem i'm not knowledgeable in doing it and knowing exactly what to do
2: when i think that's a good way to put it like you google your way through and you kind of just Borrow and take inspiration a lot more. And again, I think I am describing the design process in general. Like, I think I don't think that that's unique to us. I think designers do that as well, but they have a lot more knowledge to pull from before they get to that point. And just like we do with development, we also Google, obviously, when we get into issues, but we get to that Googling point maybe a little bit later than a designer that's a developer as well. So it goes both ways. Having said that, I do want to kind of, this is a pre announcement. This isn't an announcement yet, but Matt and I are going to have a competition where we're going to be designing and building our portfolios. So that's going to get me out of the comfort zone. I'm going to really try to design something that looks decent, right? That looks okay. I'm going to maybe do something a little bit more abstract. So this is going to really put me out of my comfort zone. It's something that I'm definitely a little bit scared of because obviously it's going to be very public. We're going to be tweeting about it constantly, maybe even do some uh, streams where we kind of build together or build separately. But it's something that I think is necessary to kind of take that next step and move move into a more – again, I, I'm trying to be one of those like a full stack developer that can be hired to build you your application. Right now, I could go out and hire people as well, or I could you know, take some of my skills and be able to do most of what needs to be done and then hire out for different parts of an application. That's really my goal. I want to know enough to build an application start uh, bottom to top, as well as maybe design it a little bit as well. And this is a big undertaking, the design part for me uh the everything else I'm kind of working towards and I've gotten pretty decent at but I I do want to have that skill in my arsenal and all of that is kind of up to the to the goal of not only just being a developer like contractor but also being able to teach from a perspective of knowledge so if I'm t- if I'm teaching a full stack development course in the future I and I UX and UI should be part of that in my opinion I want to be able to teach it from an intelligent viewpoint from a viewpoint of at least some knowledge. Cause right now when I'm teaching a course and people have probably seen this on YouTube or even my Svelte course, the design part, the UI part just looks like crap. And mostly that's just because I'm focusing on obviously one topic, but I do want to get to a place where I'm going to be a little bit better on the design side.
1: Well, there's, there's something too that I've noticed recently where I, I, I picked up, he hasn't uploaded a video in a while as of my last check, but I watched this video of a guy who does design and he like sort of teaches you what, how to do it. But he, it, a lot of it, at least for me, was what his thought process was. And one of the things that scare me as a sort of a subset of design that this guy does cover is uh, brand identity. And if someone comes to us and they're like, Hey, you know, I am opening up a brand new go-kart company. Uh, we want to, you know, we're fast and hip and we're like, you know, we have the open office space. And then from that breakdown with hopefully more details, they, they will be like, okay, now make us a, <laughs> make us like a, a site with a brand identity and then give us all the files so that we're able to uh, put this on our flyers and stuff like that. And it's like, uh, yep. You know, I can't really do that. Um, uh, luckily a lot of the people that have worked with us already have logos and stuff like that. And they're using their websites more like tools and then we're making those tools work for them. But in terms of going through the process, I would approach it very systematically. When I watch this person, it's kind of changed my perspective because he thinks things through as the brand would. So there's an example where he's going through making a menu of some sort, like a food menu. And he's saying, you know what, these and I'm doing this from memory a little bit, but it's 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 some, something like I'm paraphrasing. It's uh, you know, these ribs are very spicy and they're always on the rotisserie. So we should have some flame. And to me, I'm thinking the first thought I have is, OK, get a picture of the ribs. We need a title. We need a price. Very systematic. That works. No one's going to be like, ah, right. So a lot of our small business people, especially at their budget, are like, yep, perfect. Bam. I can sell my ribs. They know what they are. I've taken a picture of them. Those are my ribs. I'm pr- proud to show that photo. Boom. But if you're trying to make the menu and you're trying to make it real nice, he thinks, okay, well, it needs, we should have some fire because those char marks are really nice. Well, how, let's have a title. But the title is a bit corporate. It's like, oh, it, the title is actually kind of corporate. So let's change it so that there's different um, – You know, one word is in font size 10. One word is in font size 20. One word is in font size 40. One si- word is in font size 3. And it goes up and down. Okay, but that's kind of messy. But it kind of looks like a pattern. What if we put it in the background? Okay, let's put it in the background. All right, well, that looks all right. What, you know, maybe we should have some serifs on there. All right, let's put some serifs on there. Serifs look a bit formal. Well, what if we put serifs on some of the words and we do it in a random order? Because this is supposed to be like a, a, a ramshackle background. And as he's putting it together, there's points where you're like, that looks, that looks like crap. But he's not done. And in, 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 like to me, as I would go through that, I would stop at the part where it looks like crap, step back and go back to the systematic. He's he's got either a vision or he's trusting his thoughts as he goes. So then he says, oh, you know, like this is a, just a background and I, we can really read the text. We don't really need to read the text. Let's lower the opacity. Let's have the fire overlay it. Let's blend it with some wood because it's a wood fire rotisserie place. Now let's do, and it's like, holy, like y- this makes so much sense than just being like font pairings with Roboto font, font font pairings with open sans, font pairings with everyone's favorite comic sans. You know, it's a, <laughs> it's a totally different thought and it's super enlightening, but it's scary because he's not necessarily doing brand identity in these videos, although it's very related, if not actually it. Um it's like, it's like so beyond, like we work in a visual medium. Websites are ver, more like very visual. Obviously there's like screen readers and stuff that we accommodate for as well, but it's very visual. You, you, you send your draft to your client. They visually look at it. They functionally check it and then they say, yes, good, publish it. Right. And it's so d- difficult to have that hole in my knowledge where I'm like, man,
2: I can't, <laughs> I can't do that. And that that's uh, it's like a black hole. It's scary. It is scary, and that's the that's the scary thing. I think what you just described is that trust the process technique, and it's it's one of those like you just gotta you know this is crap right now, but if you keep iterating and iterating and iterating on it, it might turn into something. But sometimes you have to know when to not iterate and you know start over. Like that that part to me is always so difficult. But again, bringing it back to code. I do a very similar thing where I just build it to work and it looks like shit sometimes like, and it works and it it even works like shit, but it just like kind of works enough for a structure to form. And then I'm like, and then I iterate and I iterate and I iterate. Sometimes it'll just be one iteration. Sometimes it'll be like six different iterations until I have something that works really good is maintainable and has good performance. Right? Like, so it's just all this trust the process thing. I use it in code but I don't trust myself in design. And I think that's, again, it's one of those things that just comfort zone, the comfort level and just practice, just being able to just sit down and have the time to just go through and practice is a luxury at this point. Like there's just so much that we're doing and it's something that I want to, I want to be able to do. And again, design is something that I am going to take a little bit more seriously. I'm not going to become a professional designer. That's not the goal, but I do want to understand the process from which we can create decent looking applications, right? So that we can offer that service or at least hire someone. Like if we were to hire a designer, we need to be able to vet them. And not understanding the process at all can lead to a bad hire. So it's just, there's so many different elements to it. And that's one of the things that scares me, but it's something that I am definitely going to tackle.
1: You know what validates these fears, though, is the existence of services and or applications, which are often also services um, that solve or mitigate or smooth over these things. You can make you can using of the like, very minimal uh, coding knowledge, make a website with Bootstrap even easier. Install WordPress with a managed service like a host that just has WordPress installed for you via WordPress hosting, or a one-click installer if you have cPanel or something, and then you you can use something like Elementor and put sliders up and put images up and align them differently without knowing best web dev practices. Although I know that's a pain point for many, but you can do it using Wix, using Squarespace, um, using something like Stripe for checkouts. All these things. Some people are scared of security, they're scared of design, they're scared of this, they're scared of that. There's these services that exist because people have a need for it. And I would estimate it's because they're scared or because they were scared because it's big and they're trying to make the big thing less problematic. And so it validates the the, the fear because it's like, yeah, like other people are having this, this same problem too. Like web design is daunting. So I can use a theme. I can use a template. Uh, I can use Elementor and a theme that supports element or is a, it, it it's great to have these things validated cuz you go and you look and you're like yeah <laughs> you know like i'm glad this stripe exists because like i don't want to store these numbers <laughs> these credit card numbers and all this stuff are there drawbacks to it yeah but thankfully it's there it, thankfully <laughs> thankfully there's someone there that was like People are having a problem with this. Maybe we should offer a service. And it's like, I will pay you that money
2: to help yeah. me do this. <laughs> Take my money, please. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, moving on to the next one here, fear of missing out FOMO. For With tech, this one's a really big one for me. It's probably the biggest one out of all four of these. Uh, and what drives me to continue to, to learn and constantly try new frameworks and stuff like that because I'm f- afraid that, hey – you know, I'm learning Svelte, but now Astro's out. So, what happens if I, you know, learn Svelte and Astro is way better than Svelte? This is both like a positive and a negative because obviously, you you want to be able to go deep into something, you want to be able to learn something deep and uh, be an expert at it. And being always reaching for the newest stuff is not something that will help you do that. But in on the on the other front of it, you will, you do want to at least. Stay in touch with what's out there. And we've said this many times. I'm not going to go deeply into it on the, in this podcast episode, but just having, you know, your, your hand on the pulse of the web development industry is going to help you in the future in those meetings where like a a director asks you, like, what should we use for this? Having an opinion on a different, on a different uh, approach, having a way to switch jobs easier. Because again, like if you were stuck in Angular 10 years ago, And Now you're looking for a job. There is still Angular jobs, but there's less. Like React is now taking over, right? So 10 years from now, if you're stuck in React and Svelte has now taken over, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but if it does, you might be out of options. And people that want to switch jobs more often, especially, let's say, in the first five years of your career when you're trying to elevate your salary to a point where you can live uh, comfortably, that becomes – a very big consideration because switching jobs again, you can switch jobs from React to React to React, sure. But if you open yourself up to other opportunities, other technologies, other web, other tech stacks, it sh- it starts to again, you start to widen your reach. And doing that early on can be a huge benefit for getting the right opportunity that fits you every time. Now, again, it is still important to go deep. It's still important to understand the technology from a expert level at some point. So if you're, you know, if you specialize in react, you are going to have opportunities. I'm not saying that you're just going to be gone, but again, it depends on where you're at in your career and your drive to elevate yourself and get to a a role that you want.
1: There is also like there is absolutely the value in becoming an expert, even if it's something like a no code tool. Like I'd consider myself pretty much like a Webflow, at least a vanilla Webflow expert at this point. I know a lot of people will code up plugins and stuff like that. that work with it. And Webflow now has a marketplace. So there is, quote unquote, official support for plugins and whatever. I understand that. But like in terms of just using vanilla Webflow, I can make up a lot of stuff and get a lot of stuff working. And then I've also made some plugins myself. So like that's kind of a deep dive. but but. We have done work for people on Squarespace where they're just confused, even though it's mostly just menus and stuff like that. That's supposed to be DIY. It's like, they're just like, Hey, you know, I'm not a computer person. I don't know. And so they need help. Right. And it's good to have that stuff. And I was going to also mention very topical is in the midst of this layoff. I don't know if it's a recession or whatever it is. Ask the financial experts that, but in terms of lay being laid off in general. Um, it's great to know, like if you're a, a react expert. Maybe that's the next job you want to get, but if you are going to struggle due to the market or whatever, due to the, mar- the market conditions preventing you from finding a job easily, you might save yourself with some freelancing with some small to medium business go- businesses, and maybe, like, you are going to spin them up on something like Wix. You are going to spin them up on something like Squarespace, and just knowing that they exist and knowing what they are, you don't need to be an expert in them. Now, of course not, but, like, I, the other day, just went in and was like, okay, this person runs a restaurant. This is a video I watched. This person runs a restaurant. They are not technical beyond like normal techie, maybe like they're a little bit technical, but they're, 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 they are a restaurant owner and they showed other restaurant owners how to do an advanced setup in Wix for uh, like a checkout. Hey, this is how you do food delivery. This is how you take the orders. This is where the receipts come from, whatever. And I just watched that and I'm not going to become an expert in Wix, but now I know Just in the back of my head that if someone calls me and says, hey, you know, I'm looking at getting a menu, but I'd like it to be fast, efficient, and, you know, I want it up all the time, and this and that and the other thing, it's like, okay, well, hang on. Like, I know of a company that will handle the uptime. You you know, they're called Wix. You will, you will be able to edit most of it yourself, but I can absolutely set you up quickly so you can focus on your business. And I'll double check, because maybe it's a couple years down the line, I'll double check and see if Wix is still a great option for this and it's just that little tidbit of knowledge that can lead to something uh, David's been on the show David Lindall in between his layoffs he was he was freelancing you know and and that's yeah he took a lot of his work knowledge of course but a lot of his uh you know fr- like freelancing involves more than just your work knowledge because you're 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 dealing with the client directly you're dealing with the invoicing you're dealing with all that stuff and so having the the having your hand on the pulse like Mike said of different technologies, but also the surrounding technologies. Like, Hey, I need to maybe do a little bit of personal counting here or whatever, knowing which products to go to is very helpful. At the very least, it'll lead your Google search. Cause if, if let's say Wix and this is a made up scenario just becomes absolute garbage for restaurants, I will Google Wix restaurants and there will be a shite load of friggin' alternatives. And then a whole bunch of articles that'll say Wix has dropped the ball for restaurants. And be like, damn, I guess it's bad since I watched that video. Again, this is totally made up. Um, but man, I guess, I guess I'm going somewhere else. At least I knew what road to look down though.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. And I, th- I think that's a key thing, and a key learning that you get as you co- progress in your career and you don't stagnate. Now I want to move on to the next segment here, which is. Coming from that tweet that we talked about earlier in the episode where I asked you, the audience, what tech scares you? So let's move on to that tech. Again, I agree with some of them. Some of them obviously don't scare me as much, but we'll, we'll have a good conversation. And the big thing you is you crossed is that- out
1: one that scares me the most, actually. Seriously? Like, yeah. Okay.
2: Okay. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll add it back in. I think I know which one you're talking about. It's the second last one, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I yep. figured. Okay. Well, we'll add it back in. That's not an issue, uh, because it scares the crap out of me as well, but. I do, again, I'm going to touch on that. I'm not going to go too in-depth into them. I'll touch on why I don't think it's scary, but uh, PHP, that's the first one. This was an interesting one. It's kind of surprising to me uh, because obviously it's a big part of web tech, but I have noticed a shift from people being very into PHP, at least in the social media space, to shifting away to going more into the JavaScript world. So I guess if you're a JavaScript developer solely, and you've never touched different code, different uh, languages, PHP could be a scary thought, right? Like, again, it's that same argument or a similar argument to going from JavaScript to Rust. Now, having said that, uh, PHP and JavaScript aren't as different as you'd think. They, syntax-wise, yes, they're very different, but they are both – dynamically typed languages. Now you can do some static typing in both languages and stuff like that. They, they have a lot of the very similar feature sets. PHP is designed to run on the server more than anything. So it has a little bit of a different infrastructure running behind it. But in the, at the end of the day, they are high level languages. It's not crazy to go from one to the other. Uh, It's not crazy to context, switch, at least in my opinion. Um, But yeah, it's, it's still kind of like one of those things that you have to step outside the comfort zone.
1: For me, the PHP angle actually is not programming language to programming language in my little world. It's because you're used to working with WordPress and then WordPress doesn't do exactly what you want it to do. And maybe there isn't a plugin for it or you don't want to install a a plugin for this. And so you're left messing with PHP, which can very easily take your site down critical error, white screen of death on WordPress. (laughs) And if you do not know what you're doing, like, you are screwed. If you do not know that you, you added a functions to the functions file and that function you just added broke WordPress, I just log in, go to that file, delete that function or edit it, and then WordPress boots back up, and then I continue messing around. If you do not know that, and many will not, that's scary. It is scary because you only work with WordPress. If, if I could take Webflow down right now, I don't know Webflow's file structure. That'd be scary. Well,
2: you'd be screwed if
1: you, t- you don't have access to their like infrastructure. That's yeah, a, a different, a yeah. different case. Yeah. It's not <laughs> self-hosted. Um, but like if I, you know, if, if Webflow became self-hosted or had a self-hosting option and then I took down their thing, I'd be like, I don't, I, yeah. I don't know.
2: That's true. That's true. Uh, you're, you're right. PHP has a lot in the background that's running, especially in these larger, uh, CMS infrastructures like Magento and WordPress. So it is that part I can agree is kind of scary.
1: Well, the other thing too, with really brief with WordPress is that. Um let's say like for example you're pulling the uh the default post type which is like a post you take you def- you're pulling all the post titles and you're putting it in an array I don't know for some reason you're just doing that that uh functionality might change uh later on in WordPress so you like leave your function in there whatever maybe you make your own little um PHP file and you quote unquote install it as a as a plugin and you you know leave it and it works for years and years and years and then all of a sudden WordPress changes of which WordPress is very good for back backwards compatibility, but let's say WordPress does make a fundamental change and you're pulling on a thing called title and title doesn't exist anymore. It's called name. Maybe that's going to white screen to death you. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just going to cause an error in the thing that you're supporting breaks, but still it's still something to be like, Oh great. Or now you're doing the deprecated way. So it is supported,
2: but it isn't ideal. And then the list goes on. Yep, exactly. Moving on to the next one here, React. This one was mentioned quite a few times. It actually wasn't the number one thing people were scared of. It was probably number two. Uh, number one, you're going to be surprised about. So it's going to be the last one. So just stay tuned for that. But with React, it's understandable, 100%. I have talked to people that are just getting into React from JavaScript. I have mentored them. I have taught them everything. It's the step to take to take to get there is a problem and it's Mostly, in my opinion, due to the material out there for learning. React has this problem where it started out as a class-based system with like create React app and like extending extensions of classes and then converted to a hooks-based system with stuff like use state, use effect, stuff like that. The separation between the two is very muddy. And when you go to Google to React Tutorials or React Courses, depending on when the courses were created, they could be either class-based or hooks-based. Now, everything is moving to hooks now, including the new React docs, thank you. Uh, But the old React docs, the ones that are currently the the live ones, have a mix of the two in there. So you have some class-based stuff and some hooks-based stuff, which are not compatible with each other. So it's a whole disaster of like, how do I troubleshoot this? Is this a class-based error? Is this a React error? Is this a hooks error? Or is this a JavaScript error? Like you're literally going through layers upon layers upon layers to figure out what's happening in React. Once you grasp that part, in my opinion, it gets a little bit easier to learn and understand and debug. It's just that one step to take. And it's an extra step that shouldn't be there really anymore. Uh, because again, in the React documentation, you really don't want to have two different ways to do something, like completely different ways to do the same thing. Uh, and thankfully, we're we'll, we'll, we're getting around that soon. It's it's a tough one because once you understand it, it's not too bad. Moving on, I'm, have, I'm
1: just I'm just scared of it. So I'm just I, I fully understand. <laughs> I, I, I that. saw JSX. Uh, this was like a long time ago. <laughs> I remember like just watching a YouTube video. This is a long, long time ago. So probably the class base back then. And I, I like they're like, oh, you need another, you learn another syntax. I'm like, all right. Well, I want to make this thing appear. Tried it twice, didn't work, and I didn't need it for anything at work at the time. So I was like, all right, and I just left, and that was it. <laughs> that was the end of that.
2: Yeah, and that was a barrier for me for a long time too. And thank, thankfully, I did take the plunge into it, and I, I do, I do kind of like React now. Okay, I, I, I use Next JS, which is a React. Framework on top of React. It's good. Honestly, it's fine. There's something like little tidbit, little nitpicks I have, but overall, once you understand it, it's not too, too bad.
1: You're just adding stuff to get further away from your real fear, which is WebAssembly. That's what you're doing.
2: That's what I'm doing, exactly. I'm never gonna learn WebAssembly because I'm just gonna keep adding other shit on top of it. Just in case <laughs> WebAssembly <laughs> breaks through the first wall, you're already like three walls away. Yep, 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 exactly. Next thing, and this one, I don't I don't know the exact reason that people are scared of it, but I can guess AI. So that this one mentioned, again, a few times in the, in that thread. And my guess is a lot of people are scared of it because they think it's going to take their job, right? A lot of the new GitHub Copilot stuff and a lot of the obviously chat GPT that we talked about a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, this stuff has the potential to essentially write code for you. And if you have that potential, that means that maybe you, you're not needed. I, again, I, I reiterate, I'll reiterate what I said before where yes, I guess it has that potential, but I think we're still pretty far away from it. I've been using it more and more as it's progressed, as it's evolved. And the more I use it, the more I understand that, Hey, unless you're a developer and, and not only a developer, a decently seasoned developer, you're probably not going to get as much benefit from it as you think. So it's not, first of all, the biggest issue with it is like something like chat GPT is it'll give you answers to any question you ask it. And sometimes, or a lot of the time, those answers are dead wrong, but it doesn't say like, oh, this might be the answer. It says, this is the answer. And then starts spitting out what looks like extremely accurate code. And when you go to implement it, something will be wrong. But if you're not a good developer, you won't know what's wrong. So it's not helping you. It's actually hindering you in that situation.
1: You won't be able to troubleshoot it. Like it's going to give you something that's more advanced than you could even write, even with a lot of work and and,
2: and effort. Very, very potentially. It could do that and it has done that for me. So again, it's one of those things where it's really cool. Like if you give it very direct prompts that are beneficial to to your particular workflow, it can actually speed you up as a developer. And that's where I think – Maybe it will take some jobs in the sense that like a senior might not have to have as many juniors, but we're not there yet, even at that stage. And to get there, I still think that we're – I don't know. I think like we're still like five, ten years away from that, from the point where it's going to be writing code for us accurately. I, I'll i eat my words if Chat GPT 4 or whatever comes out and it's amazing, which is supposed to come out this year. But from what I've seen, it's – kind of dumb smart and that's where ai is at the current moment it's really cool and everything is being built with ai and it's the new trendy thing but at this point it's not something that should you should worry about taking your job it's something that you should worry about learning so that you can enhance your own skills and be better at your job
1: ai is a problem right now just because it's really hard to look through the noise there's people that are publishing things like AI with Webflow and AI with CSS and AI with – and it's it's endless. And it just becomes like, OK, like you have intelligence and this thing also has a level of intelligence and it's not – like it's, it's cool and it's a cool tool and it's a cool toy as well sometimes and great. And could it take your job away? Maybe. But I mean who else knows what's going to happen to you? Know? <laughs> like it, it, it's just one of these things where – Keep an eye on it. Hand on the pulse. Unless you're really into it. Cause people are, people are like, I, I use workflows. These are my 20 workflow steps with AI that works. And it's like AI and chat GPT has not been around for six years. This is not a tried and true 20 steps. It can't be. It cannot be. So <laughs> do you know these are 20 steps of success? Maybe you made 400 grand off it. Great. Were you lucky? Was it even the chat GPT? the chat GPT, was it just a tool in your tool set? But it, it gets framed in this zeitgeist craziness. And honestly, I'm already AI fatigued and I like AI. I've always used the house, the house assistants and the, the home assistants and all that stuff. I've always liked that stuff. And I haven't even tried a chat GPT. I will probably try it after the zeitgeist breaks down because I, it's, I'm so sick of hearing about it. This, 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 this. I don't know you made a video on it, Mike, but it's like, man, like, okay. <laughs> Like I need to build this. Like, my client's gonna be able to use it today. No, all right, I'm gonna go do that. Is it gonna help me in Call of Duty? No. Okay, I'm gonna go do that then, and I'll, and I'll deal with your like. I'll look at ChatGPT later.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I I fully get that. There's so much to look at. I I am still going to build probably a few more things on top of Chat GPT that I'll talk about. So I'll still probably put out a few more videos. But it is getting to the point where it's just like it's becoming background noise for me. Where it's just you know, there's so much AI out there that it just doesn't like. I, I'm going to use it as a tool, and that's it. I don't need your ten tips to become a millionaire using ai it's a tool that's all it is
1: it's 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 nft noise like nfts like blew up and it was crazy and it's just like okay everybody relax i remember i had friends that were not techies and they were like you know freaking out like they're like it's the stupidest thing ever you know this is so stupid your people are getting scammed and i was like guys did you know that nfts are probably going to be how we do tickets in the future like it's very possible that we'll end up doing selling event tickets with nfts like what like yeah like there's already people that do it right now, and it might just be how we sell tickets. I'm like, NFTs could end up just as a ticket software. Like it, like everybody relax. Like the form factor is not, not the form factor yet. Like phones have been changed, 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 changed to be a slab of glass. And now they've been a slab of glass. It'll probably evolve in the future, but it's evolved to like a, a plateau of everything is a slab of glass. Chat GPT, AI, Web3, all that stuff is still being molded. Relax. We used to have flip phones that came out in squares and whipped around. And (laughs) like, that's literally what we had, though. We had physical (laughs) keyboards. And that was a big war. You know, that was like one of the last big wars. Do you want a physical keyboard? Stylus as well. Like, stylus was probably the third last, you know, fight. And then we got rid of the stylus. And then it became, okay, that's it. Everyone's capacitive. But do you want a physical keyboard? And that was probably the last fight. Now it's like, okay, slab of glass. Everybody relax. No one needs to panic. It's going to evolve the way it evolves and that's it.
2: Agreed. I think that's a really good point. It, it Just give it some time. Let it do its thing. Let it go in the ebbs and flows. It's going to crash and it's going to go up again. It's going to crash and it's going to go up again until it plateaus. Leave it alone. Now, I am going to skip a couple here, but I'm going to go to the one that Matt was mentioning that he's – terrified of i know matt's extremely scared of this one course oh, cross it, origin okay. requests
1: full on see this error immediately stop doing what i'm doing <laughs> like immediately like okay we can't use this we can't use this thing and, and to be fair i've really only hit this in little personal things that i was like oh i'll just give this a go and i go to go try it and i'm like oh there's a course problem well that's too advanced and then i just like move the hell on now yes i could read about it and stuff but i just it's it's so it's it was so common when i was in my learning journey a number of years ago that I just was like, okay. Like, I don't care now. And then that's it. It's it, it's it's like as common as a blue screen of death is to me. Like it's just like, yeah, who knows blue screen sometimes.
2: Yes. And let me explain it a little bit. courses cross-origin requests. Uh essentially, if you're connecting to an API that's not on the same domain as you, they need you, to- you, have, you know,
1: you you drop what you're doing,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> you and you leave. go and you do something else. <laughs> yeah. Like you just you just go and Play a video game or something.
2: <laughs> they need to allow <laughs> you to use their service. And they do that with cores. So they either allow cores or disallow cores. And based on that, you can connect to it. Now, when you're building your own service, let's say you have separate backend from front ends and stuff like that, this can become a serious problem. Because if you don't set up cores correctly, your front end can't communicate with your backend. Your end can't communicate with your front end. Your mobile app might not be able to communicate. So this is where it all becomes complicated. When you're connecting to third-party, they usually have a system for this, either with JWT tokens or it's an open API or whatever. It's usually not a problem. If it is a problem, if there's a course problem between you and a third-party API, there's not much you can do. And this is the – I can see this being a fear because, like, you don't have access to their back end. All the core stuff is on their back end. Now, you can set some headers on your front end to kind of um, – Point to the right cores header. I can't remember what it's called. I I really hate this stuff, honestly. But regardless, you can, you, you do need to do some setup on the front end during your request to enable certain types of cores communication. But there's only so much you can do on the front end. It's mostly managed on the back end. So if you're only a front end developer and you run into a cores issue, that's where the, like, that's where I could see Matt's reaction. It's like, holy shit, what am I supposed to do? Like, this is, this is not something I can control and it's happened to again happened to matt happened to me happened to, probably happened to everyone that's ever done built a full application that needs to access apis causes a pain in the ass it happens with images it happens with fonts it happens with anything you need to externally access and
1: uh, yeah. I, I can tell you what it did it for me so I, I was trying to access just just for fun i was trying to access a uh, a movie database of some sorts a public api and they basically it's like you you basically give it Again, from memory, you basically give it the movie title or something like that, and then it pumps out any of the ones that – with a bunch of metadata that that matches it. So if I typed in like Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings has your three Peter Jacksons, but it also has your extended editions, and those might be under variants or whatever. But then there's also the cartoon from the 60s or 70s or something. And so there's different versions of it. There's also Rings of Power, which is a TV show. So you type in Lord of the Rings, you give it a search parameter, it gives you a bunch of stuff. Or you can give it the exact movie title you want and then it will give you a bunch of stuff including like when it was made and who's the director and all that stuff. Um, so I was trying to do that. I was trying to be like, okay, like I'm going to make a bunch of content boxes. Those content boxes are going to be movie art and then I'll, maybe I'll try to import uh, slash call on some of that font. And, there's some of the, uh, sorry, some of the text to place in there, and I'll mess with some fonts. Just, again, totally for learning, nothing for real thing. And I, and it, I just followed their guide. It's like, here, you, this, here's how you do a JavaScript thing. I'm like, okay, go do a JavaScript thing. And it's like, oh, it'll return a JSON. Oh, okay, go and do it. And I'm doing it in their playground. Like, they had a little playground in their documentation. So, okay, go in here to test it out. Okay, cool. There's a copy button. Press copy, put it in mine.
2: Cores. Good. And that was it. <laughs> Fun times, fun times. Honestly, course, course is a terrifying thing. But the last thing here, and this is what people have said scares them the most, and it's a surprising one, at least to me. CSS, CSS is terrifying. Everyone's now. scared. Yeah, I, I don't know. This, this, this is true. It's the one that's mostly the most referenced. But yeah, people are scared of it. And from one hand, I can kind of understand if you've ever worked in a different UI system like XML UI or React Native UI. Um, it's a lot simpler. And the other thing is, is like CSS, we can lump in responsivity into there. When you're designing for the web, when you're designing for the general public in general, right? On the web, you're designing for infinite screen sizes. And I say infinite without any exaggeration. People will drag their windows into tiny little boxes. And they'll complain about the fact that they can't view your website fully in a little rectangle on their screen because they want to have 18,000 apps open at the same time. You will have so many different systems you're trying to design for that it can be overwhelming. Responsive design can be overwhelming. Now, I know a lot of people will handle this with like, hey, we're supporting the top 90%. So we're supporting, you know, 1080p screens, maybe, maybe widescreen at this point, like long, like, you know, the, the really widescreens. And we're supporting tablets and phones and that's it. Right. So that, that kind of makes it so that at least it's a quantifiable amount of design you have to do.
1: Or like a kiosk app where like all the kiosks are like iPad twos
2: or whatever. That, that makes it easy. That, that makes it, that makes it, no, not easy, but that makes it a lot more easier to handle. When you have one device that you're designing for, at least one set of devices, that's easy. And so like when you're going mobile app design, it's a little bit easier than when you're going web design, in my opinion, because you're, first of all, you're conforming to the design system of that app uh, phone. So iOS has its own design system, its own navigation and Android has its own navigation, right? So if you're designing for one or the other, you, you know what patterns to follow. And second of all, there's only a limited amount of devices. Like when you're designing for Apple, there's, you know, there's a handful of devices that you have to care about. Now, Depending on if you want to support their tablets or not, that's a question, obviously. But regardless, it's still not that crazy. You have like, you know, 20 devices or 10 devices. Again, when you're designing for the web, you have infinite. Like mm-hmm. every day a new Windows devices appears. Every day a new tablet appears that runs Windows. Every day, like whatever. Now, so now at-
1: there's the, the like a, a, a plethora of handheld PCs coming out because of the Steam Deck. Yeah. And if you like, are, is your website uh navigatable with directional buttons? I mean, they have a touchscreen and this and that, but is it possible? Uh VR headsets have browsers. Is it easily uh oh. are your buttons easily clickable with a like an Oculus pointer, yep.
2: like the the little controller? Oh my god. Yeah, you just yeah, yeah, you just scared me a little bit more. <laughs> I forgot about VR, because that's that's a whole other platform we're gonna have to tackle at some point.
0: Does it
1: the thing the thing with CSS though, and, and this is probably like um true with a lot of things is like i used to be afraid terribly of like taxes and stuff like understanding the finances of it and i absolutely leave it to the experts to do the return and make sure our books are correct but i told like i i've said this on the podcast before a couple years ago i just dove into it i was like i'm sick of being scared of this that's it and i've just gone in and it's completely changed like how i handle my finances and stuff like that and i'm and i've only learned to a point i learned like enough to be like okay i know how to google things now I am not the accountant. I'm not going to be ever at the account level because I don't want to do it. But now I'm not scared of it anymore. The CSS, like you're saying, Mike, I know so much CSS. So like I'm so familiar with it. I'm not the like the most modern and whatever. Like I'm probably even dated a little bit in some of the CSS that I use. But I like you tell me like VR, I'm like, oh, whatever. Like does it need to be slightly bigger? <laughs> like it, it. you know what I mean? Like it's just like I have a solution that's like kind of preloaded whether it works or not. At least I know where to look once again. And so a key with a lot of these and probably cores, maybe I should just do this is like just go into it and figure it out. And you don't have to become like the cores expert, but you can just be like, okay, now I know how to like, now I know if this error shows up, I generally have to look at this port or whatever you have to look at. And then you're not scared of it anymore. Or, oh, I need to go to the backend engineers for this. Or you like, you figure out the solutions that that are right for you, right for your team, right for your situation, right for your app for your website, whatever, because we're like removing the, like, like it's kind of like a fear of the unknown, at least in my case. It's a fear of the unknown. I'm like, well, all right. And then I just leave. But the instant I know what's going on, like, I'm not afraid of CSS. Like I don't care. I use CSS to hack things together now when it, like, something, like, something stupid comes out of a PHP thing. And I'm like, well, you know, it's not a security problem. It's going to hide it. Like, sure. Like, that maybe that shouldn't happen. Like, maybe I shouldn't be doing that. But if a customer needs something fixed really quick, like CSS will be like, okay, I'm going to quickly hide that and then we'll figure out why the hell that's even being generated later. You know, we'll just quickly, quickly, <laughs> quickly stow that away. I'll just inject some CSS really quick. And that's like CSS is just a tool. So I think a lot of the fears with this beyond CSS is like a fear of the unknown Where, like you're, you're, you're afraid of the unknown screens. I don't care. Um, oh, oh, it's, it, it's an Oculus blip, blip, blip. Like, okay. Like, does it need to be bigger? Like, is it, is it janky? Like, does it need a bigger? Like, is uh, is is the hover effect uh, messed up with the things? Uh, is the hover effect not visible enough with just an underline when it's on that? Okay, well, if it's around an Oculus size screen, maybe I'll change the background color. Like, it doesn't scare me anymore. So, it's a good way to end, I guess, for me, <laughs> where I got terrified at cores and then right into my comfort zone. But um, I mean, indoctrinate stuff into your comfort zone maybe is the key here, or at least become like. Good enough where you're not scared of it, where you're not like, I don't know.
2: I, you've summarized it perfectly. It's the fear of the unknown. I mentioned it at the very beginning of this episode because that's what all of this is. When you're not – if you're a PHP expert, you're obviously not going to be scared of PHP, right? If you're an AWS expert, you're probably not going to be scared of AWS even, right? So it's all these things that – other developers are scared of is because they don't have access to them. They don't, they don't need to use them all the time. So when they do have to go in and dive deep, yeah, it is scary because it's the unknown. And that's, I think that's a perfect place to end this episode is that you need to be able to be okay with stepping outside of your comfort zone. A lot of the time it's okay to have that fear, but that fear is what drives you to know that you need to be okay with learning it. And again, think back like a, Matt mentioned it, he was scared of stuff in the CSS before he dove in and, and did it over and over and over and over again to the point where now, whatever, like no, there's no CSS that's going to scare him. There's no situation where like a, a layout breaks and it's going to cause him to like go into a panic attack. He's just going to fix it. And it's the same thing with every piece of technology that we mentioned. Once you start understanding that tackling problems systematically is the way to go forward, it shouldn't scare you anymore.
1: Yes, 100%. And a quick little thing I already mentioned, but just know your limits. You know, if you're, like I said, I I am not an accountant, so I'm not going to learn finances to an accounting degree. But just indoctrinate it to whatever, indoctrinate whatever it is you're scared of, maybe, is a good way to say it. Indoctrinate whatever it is you're scared of, whatever, like, coding language or whatever. If you learn enough to make yourself comfortable enough to Google problems, like, indoctrinate it as far into your comfort zone as you want. Maybe is a good way to put that. It's going to be different for every person though. Some people are just not scared of anything. But um if you are, and you're like us, and that's a, that's a way to do it. Try to try to get it into that comfort zone as much as you can. But as Mike said, let's conclude this episode and before we do that, we want to thank our $3 tier patrons, Ryan Castro from Blue Black Digital, blueblackdigital.com, Tim from WebHacker on the webhacker.com, Dave #9 Block Media, 9blockmedia.com, Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com, Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca. Magnus from YesWeb via YesWeb.se. Jeff from Twitter via at the Kale. and Fire And Season via FireAntSeason.com. If you want to become one of these Patreons, you know what to do. Go to Patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. And we are being signed off by this outro.
0: You've been listening to HTML All the Things Podcast Signing off.